Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Brave Full, a podcast for achieving women. Today, I'm so excited. Um, I have a very good friend who is um, going to be highlighting her success for us today. So today we have Karen Manji. She's vice president of customer and market insights at Salesforce. Her work focuses on strategies for personal and professional success, and she regularly works with executives, managers, and future leaders at companies of all sizes. So you know what's great about her is she has um, published two books just in 2020 alone. Um, So if you haven't read Listen Up, How to Tune In to Customers and Turn Down the Noise, and also a book, Working From Home, Making the New Normal Work for You. She is funny. She is real. She is just a wonderful down-to-earth individual that I so much enjoy learning from. Um, Her first book that she wrote, which really highlights the fact that, you know, just because you work more doesn't mean you're going to be successful more. So she wrote um, a book called Success with Less, and that gave her the opportunity to be a TEDx speaker. So um, please listen and learn. She's just a wonderful person. And then when you're done, please lean in to KarenManji.com, as well as you can find her on Twitter. She's just a great resource to have, and she can help you align your success. So enjoy. Hello, welcome to Braveful, a podcast with and for achieving women. I'm your host, Amy Zeigert. I'm so excited to share with you stories of women who are brave and gutsy. This show is a weekly view into the hearts and minds of what has enabled these fabulous ladies to take a leap and go forward with bold ideas. So join me in an opportunity to listen, learn, and lean in, Braveful style. So I have read your success with less, which mm-hmm. love, I think pause should be the word of the, you know, 21st century. Um, I don't think any of us knew how to pause, at least didn't know how to actually enact it into our life. And then working from home, you know, when I, when I read that, the thing that came across for me in your working from home was trust. And then when I read, listen up, which again, the word listen is there a common theme that you see running through all three of your books? Yes, success. I think it's, you know, it's about defining success and then aligning yourself to pursue it. And I think we have a lot of myths and misconceptions about success. And, and that what this time is giving us is an opportunity to take a pause and to reset and to listen to what matters most. You know, to really think about how to be present enough to listen to what we need, yeah. to what our customers most want us to hear, and to the signals that are showing up around us about where we need to go next. And the reality is, you know, we get those little signals all the time. They're usually just so covered up with noise, it's hard to hear them. Yeah. And I think that's that's what's within this big big wake up call and big reset that we're having is we're all being given an opportunity to redefine success. And it's, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. One of the things that I, I loved there, there's a quote from John Wooden that you had in your listen up. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. And, and that's what I think COVID has done for us is it's giving us an opportunity to sit back and actually reevaluate what we already know and how do we continue to, to expand on that? And, and the other part that I loved in your book was listen, align, and act. So, because my big thing is listen, learn, and lean in. And so to have you put it in a different phraseology was very self-satisfying for me that it clearly is top of mind for everyone. So how did you come up with listen, align, and act? You know, what actually happened was when I was at Cisco and we were leading that um, customer experience, you know, practice and I had voice of the customer globally, and we were shifting into being a center of excellence. You know, what we were thinking about was how do we take what we do 
and offer it as a service. Because what was happening is, you know, if you if you say like, we're delivering the voice of the customer and I show up in a meeting and I share some survey results that came from customer feedback with you. And then an hour later, you have a meeting with someone who leads customer advisory boards and they say, I'm here to share the voice of the customer with you, right? What starts to happen is there's so many voices that it's hard to hear above the noise and know which voice matters most. And so in that inflection point, we are thinking about solving for two things. First of all, how do you make a service portfolio uh, and offer it in its simplest terms, right? These are the functions that we do. The other piece is we wanted to allow people the opportunity to work in their area of strength. And what was happening before is there was more of a relationship based focus. So it's like, Amy, if you were my person, you and I would do everything together. I might write a survey for you and then run a focus group and then write a report and then present it to you. And the reality is very few people are good at or are motivated to do all of those things and do them well. So we were thinking about how could we align people to their strengths? So it's like if you're really great at listening, if you're a really great qualitative interviewer or quantitative researcher, we should let you go do the listening part. And then there are people who are awesome at data analysis and visualization, and we should let them do that because what the data is doesn't matter. It's the underlying skill. And there are people that are awesome at conveying a message and communicating what something means and how to take action. We should let people do that. And so it just sort of evolved into how can we simplify, you know, and offer and share with people what we're offering, make it easy for them to work with us, and then give people an opportunity to feel great about what they're doing and, and build one muscle right and really strengthen it as opposed to kind of doing a triathlon and really your events just swimming so you know it, it just it made sense because it was like we can't get scale if, if you feel like you know there's the one part of that life cycle that you're always going to be like oh i'm dreading the, the presentation or doing the data analysis like whatever you know whatever your skill is so you know it evolved naturally out of that of how do we really describe this in the simplest terms possible um, and, and it sets an expectation for people of what they will get when they engage with you. I mean, everybody understands, like my mom understands, you know, listen, align and act, right? Yeah. Wow. So that, so your listen, align and act came all the way back from Cisco days. It did. Oh, yes. Yes. This is sort of the summation of, uh, you know, of all of my, of all of my learnings, but a lot of them that are in there. Um, are, are from Cisco. And by the way, the catalyst to switch to that center of excellence was a 35% budget cut. And we eventually became self-funding. So we started uh, offering our services for an internal fee uh, and we became a completely self-funding organization. So we went from a cost center to a profit center. Wow. And I wrote about that and listen up, yes. So how did you get that done? I mean, that alone is a huge success. Check the box. Yes, well, so I, you know, in, in a moment of what I would consider coming to a new leadership understanding, I thought that my role as a leader was to filter my team from really unpleasant corporate things like budget cuts or try to find a way forward. And so what I was trying to do was, uh, first of all, push back against something that, that didn't feel quite right to me. And I spent a lot of hours building a business case for my boss to push back against the thought that this was going to happen. Now, the reality is building a resistance movement is exhausting and it's rarely effective, particularly in corporate America and in life, right? So when we meet with resistance and we keep pushing with that resistance, we are working against the wave of the ocean and the culture. And what happens is when you step back and change your point of entry and kind of let that wave come to you and you work with the momentum, you can actually get some movement. So I kind of staged a, a resistance movement with my boss based on a business case and services we would have to stop. And literally at the end of it, he looked at me and said, this change is nothing. I'm still cutting your budget. And it was literally out of desperation that I got to the, I should engage my direct reports and share this challenge with them. And out of that and brainstorming with the team came this solution of, what would happen if you know because they started seeing well if this is inevitable right. let's just focus on what's possible i was focused on how i was going to make the possible you know what was going to happen never come to be you know and i think we do that so often in life you know yeah. we we push against this idea that that we just must have right now or we're chasing this person who doesn't love us back or some relationship of unequals and we spend all of this time pushing back against no's and resistance 
And if we took a few steps back and let the yeses naturally come to us and we worked with who was willing to say yes to us and be an ally and be a friend and be a sponsor, you know, yes creates momentum that moves us forward. No is a really exhausting exercise. Yeah. Well, and do you think it's partly because we always want to be right? I mean, did you feel in that moment when they're going to tell you they're going to cut your budget by 35%, hell no, you're not going to do that. And B, I'm going to present this to you and I'm going to be right. And you're going to say, you're right, I'm not going to cancel this 35%. I thought that a 35% budget cut was a way to quantify that I was not an effective leader. The story that I was telling myself was if I was a great leader and conveying the value that we could deliver, they wouldn't be cutting my budget. They would be adding to it. And so I solved, tried to solve for it from the place of this was personal and this quantifies somehow, you know, I'm not enough as a leader that we got to this point. And I, you know, didn't want my team to know that right. because then they might too think, that I'm not a great leader if this is happening to us when the people around us were not getting budget cuts of that magnitude. What I came to understand is the more that you can accept, adapt, accelerate, the better it is for everyone, right? The circumstances might not be what you want them to be. The power is in changing your relationship with your circumstances. I built better and deeper relationships with my direct reports by solving for that together than I ever would have if I had been successful in just fending off the budget cut and not getting there. So it was an inflection point for me as a leader of your job is not to resist the inevitable right. or to entirely shelter your team from unpleasant thoughts or changes. Your role as a leader is to help people accept that this is the circumstance and engage them in that process of how do we adapt based on this factor that's that's beyond our control that we can't change. Wow, that's enlightening. And you're right, it's amazing when you come together as a team and you probably built an incredible team based upon that exercise. Yes, and you know, it proved out because I got to see people use a lot of different skills. Like I found out uh, one of my direct reports was fantastic at managing budgets and doing all this kind of cross-charge activity that would make it possible. Uh, I discovered I had another direct report who had aspirations to go in, into sales. So I made her essentially like our salesperson. I mean, she would go out and prospect for deals. We had a pipeline of, you know, what was pending, you know, our, our upside deals. And, you know, we would track, you know, what we closed. And then I had another person who was wildly creative at putting together these service offerings. Uh, and another person who was kind of expert at how do you manage this whole continuum. And so what ended up happening was people, as a result of that, were able to, to showcase strengths I might have missed if I had decided to just go it alone. Wow. So, okay. So, and while you're doing all that in your success with less, do you think you utilize a lot of the learnings that you write in here with the pause um, your whole formula, do you think that's what came, that's what created success with less? Looking back on what, that? What created success with less, because I was, you know, somewhere in my continuum of being ill at that point, actually, oh, yeah. uh, when that was all going on. What created success with less is, I always had this formula for being successful, which is, you know, do more to save more to have more. Right? right. And make this seem easy, pleasing and agreeable. And in my head, you know, I wanted to belong to the success club with the successful people, you know, those people over there uh, who were born to the right parents and went to the right school and had the right boss. And what I thought they did to be in the success club and have this sense of belonging is they just said yes to everything, delivered it and made it look effortless. And then they were rewarded with more, more money, more visibility, more promotions, more opportunities. And for the first several promotions in my career, that formula worked brilliantly well. And what happened was it hit a point of diminishing returns that was compounded by the major medical. And there came a point when I was literally so ill, I could no longer run my own success play. And that was as terrifying or more so to me than undiagnosed major medical, because I thought, I don't know a path forward from here. My only choice was to take a pause and really assess. And I probably had a consciousness at that point for the first time in my life that my time and energy were literally limited. And if I could only do one thing well, I needed clarity about what that was going to be. And for me, that was get healthy. 
And so what I accidentally discovered was by being crystal clear on what success meant to me without the influence of anyone else or anyone else getting a vote, that became a very powerful filter for what I said yes and no to. Because every question for me came down to, does this move me closer to or further from my goal? Well, if I only have very limited energy right now, right. I want to move closer to my goal of being healthy and being well. I mean, I want to not only have a full life, I want to be well enough to enjoy it. And if saying yes to this person or this commitment moves me further from that goal, it's a no. And, and that was the first time in my life that I had absolute clarity about what success meant to me and was willing to do what it took to remove the obstacles in the path to that goal. And that's tough work. Yeah. Right. Because when you've been a yes person and a pleaser, and then you show up and say, that doesn't serve me, that doesn't serve me in my goal. That's a, it's a tough inflection point. But what I found was when I chose to take a pause and said, no, because I was aligned with the goal that mattered to me, those no's felt empowering because what it felt like is I am respecting myself enough to do what needs to happen to get to the goal I care about, not an artificial goal I see from the success club out there. And so what I discovered was when pauses get inflicted upon us, they are usually tragic and they they feel like they take our power away, right? And someone passes away, you lose your job. And then, you know, you use that phrase like it gave me pause. It's this attention getting moment, but you're you're operating it into it from a, from the point of view of it was forced on you. Right. And what I discovered was when it went the other direction and I was choosing to take a pause because something didn't serve me, I felt empowered. I felt like I, I am doing what I need to do and summoning the kinds of resources and relationships I need to move closer to that. And it felt totally different. It didn't feel like this, I'm a quitter because I'm saying no right. or, what will people think of me? I felt like nobody else has to wake up in this body every day feeling this sick and this awful. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And that means I need to make some different choices. Uh, and it ultimately proved out really to be the gateway to a very different kind of life. Uh, not just not just getting physically well, but, you know, kind of emotionally, mentally, spiritual well to say, you know, I matter. What, what I care about and how I define success matters. And nobody else has to share that definition. And that's okay. Wow. So, cause that was kind of your gateway then to what you're doing today. I mean, you, Absolutely. you literally changed almost every aspect of your, you know, personal life when you took that pause, how difficult was it to do that? I mean, cause there's going to be women out there listening, going, Oh, that sounds great. But how do you literally let go and say, it's okay to pause and redirect? Well, at that point in time, I would have told you I was so desperate. I felt like I had no other choice. I mean, surrender was the only remaining option because I no longer had energy to fight the resistance movement. I mean, I just, I, I literally didn't. I mean, rock bottom, wits end. I, I don't, you know, whatever analogy resonates with people, but I was like, I am so depleted and I am so desperate and I am so hopeless. And I, I feel so much despair. I will do anything. I will adjust anything to not feel like this every single day and know that tomorrow when I wake up, I'm going to feel that way. And the next day I'm going to feel that way. I want to live well and with hope. And that means if I have to make some tough choices, so be it. I know I don't want to live like this or feel like this for one more second. And so for me, that was the rallying point. What, what I would tell you that it looks like and feels like now in the context of everything that has shifted and being at a different place in my life, right? I mean, this is cumulatively through the years is that I see choices that come around again, right? The opportunity to say yes to something that I said yes to in the past and it took me down a path that didn't serve me and now those choices show up again. And it's an easier no because I've already had a preview of, of what the outcome probably looks like or how hard it is to unwind. So that, that makes it easier. The other just fundamental operating point for me on a daily basis is I have enough, I've done enough, I am enough. I, I don't need to say yes to artificially serve someone else's view of who I am and how I'm doing. I am 
confident in my value. I know that I am enough and I don't need to prove that to anyone else. But most of all, I don't need to prove that to myself. Wow. That has been, but I'm saying that's been like decades in the making. I didn't just like wake up from this pit of despair, 55 pounds overweight and practically bald with my eyes changing color and be like, I'm enough. I feel amazing. I mean, no, 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 no. It was out of such desperation of like, listen, the choices I've made have put me here. If I don't want to be here anymore, I have to make different choices. And I am so desperate. I will try anything. I mean, anything at this point to not feel like that. How long did it take you to get well? Three and a half years clinically misdiagnosed, another five years in treatment. Yeah. And I, and I would say literally it was probably just a year ago that I got my first, like you are, you have finally reached homeostasis. Like your body is essentially at peace. Um, but that's been a lot of work and a lot of adjustments. And so, you know, I, I think it's always like so easy to look at somebody else's life or story or LinkedIn profile and think I want that outcome. And they had it so easy. And the reality is that sort of reaching that, that medically defined balanced point has been years and years and years of choices and changes and setbacks and support and trying again. I didn't go from I'm sick, I'm desperate and I'm miserable to I'm perfectly well, right. you know, right. living this, you know, wonderfully balanced existence. It, it takes a long time and it just took little pieces at a time to be ready for the next piece. What was the hardest part about it? The hardest part about it is that when you don't get the outcome that you're looking for in the timeline that you're expecting, right. it becomes very easy to default back to what you did before because it's comfortable, because you know it. And so I'll give you a very recent example of this. So I made some changes about how I'm starting my day, my routine to start my day. Because what I was discovering is things I was saying to import that, that are important to me that I was trying to use to transition at the end of the day from work into life. I was setting myself up to make a very difficult trade off between I can answer the next email and I can, you know, start dinner and like start the life things. And so I was squeezing out the time I needed to take care of myself or setting up a very difficult choice. Like, well, if only I have enough willpower to shut off the laptop and not start doing 50 chores at home, then I can fit in you know, this mindfulness, meditation, yoga, writing in my journal. Well, that's a tough choice at the end of the day. When I see all these things that feel like they demand my attention, choosing myself doesn't feel uh, easy in that moment. So I made a change and that is now my start the day ritual. So the first thing I do when I get out of bed in the morning now is meditate, do a few yoga poses, write in my journal. And I'm about 50. I think I'm 50 days into this now. Wow. Just, just not doing something different. All I did was change the order in which I'm doing things to try to make the best choice, the easiest choice. Okay. And by doing it first, so I've been wildly consistent now with this, doing this 50 days. And yesterday I had a day where it was just, I felt so distracted because I had so many back-to-back -back meetings of so many different kinds. And I had things I needed to write and create that I felt like I was jumping from thing to thing. And by the way, part of the shift is I've shifted all this like sort of brainless chatter email and things that you need to read to like the last thing I do to remind myself if I don't get to it, it doesn't matter. You know, answering every email isn't moving me closer to how I define success. So it can be the last thing on the list with the worst of my energy. And if I don't read, you know, the New York Times or Wall Street Journal daily summary for today, the world will go on. <laughs> and and so yesterday in the middle, like partway through the day, when just everything felt chaos, I find my, I found myself defaulting into the, I'm going to read the mindless email because all I need to do is clean out my inbox. And at the end of the day, I was like, you know what I did? Even though I still did the start the day routine, I wasn't effective in being present and staying calm because I felt so, pulled in so many directions. The instant story that popped into my head was you had it right before all this stuff about calming down and being focused is total crap. You can't get anything done. So screw it. Like I'm doing this my old way, I'm clearing this shit out right now. I'm over it. And at the end of the day, I felt worse because I did a hundred things horribly yesterday. So then, and I was like, crap. And, and, but it was that temptation of like, you know what? And this was what was sort of almost in my head at the end of the day was, all right, you know what? This has been a great experiment. And tomorrow when I get up, I have real stuff that has to be done. And when I get out of bed tomorrow, screw that stuff. It's on like Donkey Kong with my to-do list. So 
So I took a pause and here's the beautiful thing about sleep, right? And, and the beauty of you can always begin again, which is right. a new day. Yesterday was what it was. And that was a fantastic lesson. And today I got up and started my way and kept my commitment to myself. And I'm like, okay, I can make a different choice today. Yesterday's choice does not have to be today's choice. That's okay. Just begin again. So Just begin again. How often do you define success or do you redefine it? I mean, does it change? Is it an ebb and flow? It changes, yes. The definition of success changes. And so what I would tell you is when I got to that point where I was making some better choices and respecting my own time and boundaries more, and I was much further along that path to health, then I kind of shifted my definition. And I have these inflection points over time, and I'll use a great example when everything shifted with the pandemic and I used to fly about 250,000 miles a year and then suddenly find myself grounded. And one of my colleagues said this, and I thought it was so profound. He said, you know, as I'm, as I'm thinking about doing our jobs as thought leaders and not going places to see people, he said, I'm challenging myself to write, I think it was a hundred blogs by the end of the year. And if anybody wants to do some with me uh, or do a series, I would, I would invite you to join me because I think we have to find new ways to get our thought leadership out. And he's like, my thought is if I'm not traveling, I could get my thought leadership out in a different way. And if anybody wants to do this with me, that's awesome. So I think about it for a couple of weeks and I was like, wow, you know what he said is really profound. And I do need a different definition of success and a maybe a, a different or revisited sense of purpose, you know, during this period of time, not knowing how long it was going to last. Yeah. And so I thought, you know what, this is a person who was also on planes a lot and we didn't have the same opportunity to collaborate together. It's a colleague that I respect quite a bit. And I thought, you know what, I'll just write a blog and see what happens. And I decided to write about working from home because I thought that would be a great series and, you know, we could feature some experts. <laughs> So I started writing these blogs about working from home because I said yes to collaborating with this colleague. And I thought, yes, I can follow his lead on this, right? Find new ways to put thought leadership out there. Those blogs are what became the offer to do the book. And that book has become an opportunity to connect and align with lots of other people who are doing great work. And my journey would not have put me down that path if I had held on to my pre-pandemic definition of success. The other piece too, and this is sort of interesting because I think we get so many things wrong in our definition of success. You know, we think it's like out there on the horizon where it's like the sum of its perfectly executed parts. And if only, you know, we will just do them perfectly in the perfect order, then it will add up to this thing called success. And I thought, you know, what's so great about this blog? I get to experience success kind of moment by moment. I mean, when I finish the draft, I feel like I've succeeded. When I send it to my colleague to review, that feels like success. When I see it go live, that feels like success. When someone comments and says, wow, this really helped, or I love, you know, uh, we quote people in the blogs. I love it when someone wakes up and then they see themselves mentioned on Twitter or LinkedIn. They're like, thanks for using my quote. It was so amazing to wake up today and see, you know, that I'm part of this story. And I thought, wow, that's success too. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Success doesn't have to be on the other side of the pandemic. It can show up moment by moment if you are willing to adjust your definition of success. And that was really profound for me because I thought it was always, you've got to have this big goal and then you're going to like take all these steps to get there. And I thought, wow, you know, it's not only that I'm redefining success during this period of time, it's I'm changing my relationship with success, which is what I think we're all trying to do right now to think about what success means to us. And then free ourselves from the need for that to be something that potentially is way out on the horizon or shows up down the line. If only we do all these perfect things. God, you know, when did we as a society become so perfect or, or drive towards perfection and why does it matter? Yeah. Cause I also liked your analogy in um, listen up about checking the box. I, I mean, (laughs) <laughs> that to me is the worst thing we can be doing, not just for ourselves, but for our customers and the people that we are serving is to just go towards something in a check the box attitude. And I, I, I love the way you tackle it and listen up because 
check the box is old school. So how is you, I mean, from working from home, how do you get out of check the box syndrome? Cause that's kind of, I mean, you get this task, you're like, okay, I did that, I did that. And then you go and you try to separate, but how do you not just be a check the box person? Oh, and you know, I do love to check boxes because do. I love to make lists. And so part of what showed up for me this year as I have been trying to really live through and learn through some of these inflection points and opportunities is on the other side of the holidays, I'm normally the person who instantly, it's like, get the holiday decorations down, get things cleaned up, check, 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 check. And a few weeks went by after the holidays and I thought, I, I really don't feel like this is a priority right now. And for the first time, it didn't bother me. And I started thinking about what I was doing with that time instead. And what I realized what I was doing with that time instead was being present and connecting with people. And I thought, isn't that interesting? I mean, I took the energy out of needing to do the task and also tying how I felt about any given day or about myself to getting that task done. And it's funny how sometimes you see your life through other people's eyes. So I, uh, I have a girlfriend who is in the process of uh, testing some recipes uh, for a cookbook. And she was offering to drop by and drop a few things off, you know, because of course, if you're testing that many recipes, you have right. lots of success. So she came to my front step and she has a mask on and I have a mask on and I opened the door and we've known each other for a long time and we're chit-chatting away. And I see her glance over my shoulder and there's a passing moment where I'm thinking, she's seeing that Christmas tree and judging me for not having taken it down. <laughs> right at the moment that she says, oh, I'm so glad to see that you still have your holiday decorations up too. That makes me feel so much better. And I had this instant flash of my grandmother oh. and, and she was famous for kind of not getting to house tasks. I mean, her, she didn't need a guest book because we would just say, sign our name in the dust on the coffee table. <laughs> and it was fine because what she did instead was she spent time with us. I mean, I never asked her to play cards with me or listen to a joke where she didn't have time. And I thought, ah, therein was her entire life philosophy that she never articulated in words. Wow. And it was what matters. And, you know, in that moment, standing there with my girlfriend, I thought, you know, in all this time of isolation, do you know what matters? This unexpected gift of a friend dropping by unexpectedly, and we're having a conversation. And in my head, I'm not secretly thinking about a task list. You know, I've turned from the task toward the person. I mean, I never even looked back and I thought, what matters? I mean, what would change in all of our days or what would change in our to-do list if we just woke up and said, what matters? Wow. Similar to an intention. Do you create an intention every day? I do create an intention every day. Yeah. And, and I also have some intentions that I repeat. So I am big on, you know, what's in your line of sight in the space where you do your work or do your creation, whatever that looks like for you. I mean, the, the items that you have behind you have a myriad of meanings and they're there because, you know, they inspire you or they ground you. Uh, for me, I have a, a sticker that I can see that I actually got uh, at, a, at a friend's baby shower a little bit uh, before the pandemic. It says she believed she could, so she did. Oh, right. And then I have words written on it. Trust, faith, belief, expansive. Wow. And I look at that and I think, okay, that that keeps me grounded. It keeps me focused. I also, I keep this uh, in my line of sight as well. This one, uh, it's funny, I'm not a coin collector, but this is actually a proof set. And a proof set is the example of the best of coins that are minted in any given year. And I often like to say that leadership is my currency. Ooh. And so I think about if leadership is my currency, I mean, what's going to be the proof of some new leadership strategy I'm minting, you know, what, what's going to be the best of what I produce today or this week or this year. So you are no longer checking the box. I have moments where checking the box shows up as incredibly tempting. And what I'm trying to do in that moment is take my own advice and take a pause and get a little bit curious about why I am letting myself or being very tempted to get pulled into execution instead of living to my higher aspiration at this point, which is creation. And what I'm finding is when I'm getting tempted to get pulled back into my old habits, it's because I'm feeling uncomfortable or uncertain 
about something that's happening or what's coming next. I mean, when you keep doing things the way you've always done them, you're on a predictable path of knowing essentially how they're going to turn out or what's going to happen next. When you're venturing out on a new journey or trying to change your relationship with how you see yourself, there are moments that it's very uncomfortable. Yes. It feels very uncertain. You have moments where you think, am I crazy for doing this? Or it feels difficult. And what I'm finding is those are the moments when those old habits, when that you know old version of myself and when that familiarity shows up as feeling like a warm blanket on a cold night, it's like, wouldn't that be so comforting? You know how to do that. God. And so I really try to pause and sit with like, why am I feeling this way right now? And use that as an opportunity to try to go in a different direction. I am not successful at that 100% of the time. Yesterday is a prime example of how I fell back into chaotically trying to check off tasks because so many things felt uncertain and beyond my scope of energy to address them yesterday that I fell into an old habit. You know, it's another day. So my intention today is not to fall into that habit. But I think it's it's important, like when we see those old choices show up or those old versions of ourselves to get curious about what is happening in that moment that's prompting that to feel so fantastic or so tempting or so alluring. So as we, you know, with, with your work from home book, as we talked earlier before we um, recorded, what is advice you give women who are wanting to achieve more, um, but we're in this work from home and maybe they aren't comfortable or aren't able to be their full authentic selves because they're behind a camera. Maybe they do better in person, et cetera. What is advice you would give women today? First, be kind to yourself. I mean, this is a seriously major inflection point, one of the biggest of our lives, and we're all experiencing it together. Working from home, especially if you haven't done it before, is a challenge. Mm working from home and having the line between work and life completely erased is challenging. Having children who are in and out of school or doing e-learning is challenging. Having other caregiving responsibilities on top of all that is challenging. Trying to make time for yourself to take care of yourself on top of all that is challenging. And that's okay. It has been a challenging adjustment for everyone. So just exhale for a moment and acknowledge This is tough. This is really tough. The next small step, and I I try to think about how do we take these big aspirations or we're feeling trapped and seeing our way out a little bit at a time. And I like to start with just the simplest assessment possible of what's working, what's not working, what's the smallest thing I could give myself permission to adjust. I mean, I visit with people who are at this point in working from home, still sitting in the uncomfortable antique rocking chair or dining room chair, and they literally have back pain. And I'll have the conversation, is the smallest adjustment you could give yourself permission to make buying a chair that would help you feel physically comfortable that might contribute to showing up at your best and feeling a little bit better. You don't have to, you know, commit to write a book or develop a mantra or or train for a triathlon, just What's working? How do you keep that going? What's not working? And off that list, what's the smallest thing you can give yourself permission to adjust? You know, my not working was I wasn't getting to time for myself to kind of process and reflect enough. So I didn't add something to my routine. I just changed the order in which I did it. I mean, I got a little curious, like what would happen if I made this my start the day routine instead of my end the day routine? The other piece too is I so often we think about, you know, success or getting to a different outcome as what we're going to add. In fact, I had someone ask me, are you trying to learn any new skills during this period of time? Or do you advise people to do that? And I said, I only advise you to learn something new if there's something else you're going to stop to make room for that. Sometimes success is more a function of what you take away than what you add. And so I will find myself asking, how could I make this easier? I, I, in the Listen Up book, I call it the genius question. Yep. But it's not, how can I make this easy? And it's not, how can I make this simple? It's how can I make this easier or simpler? So maybe there's one less ingredient in dinner tonight. Maybe there's one meeting that lasts five minutes less. 
you know, maybe there is one status report that you move to every other week that you used to send every week. Just carve out these small increments of time, uh, carve out these small feelings that it's okay to take something away. You know, success isn't always about adding to your list. Right. It's very often more like cleaning out that junk drawer in your kitchen, right? That has like the random carryout menus and part of somebody's science fair projects and the rubber bands and the paper clips and the super glue. And you're like, I cannot get this drawer open. What do you do? You fix it by taking something away, not by adding something. It's that. I mean, look around yeah. at the junk drawer of your life and say, what could I take away? That is great advice. The junk drawer of your life. And I think that's so true. Why do we always think we have to add something to be successful? Why isn't taking away, as you state, success with less, the definition of success? I mean, I'll never forget the time when I was sitting with a Fortune 50 C-level executive and he was having a casual chit chat with me on a Friday afternoon. And I literally asked him, how do you even have time for this conversation? I mean, he seemed like he had nowhere to go. And he said, I block off my Friday afternoons. I don't take meetings. I mean, this is just a casual chat because I need time to synthesize all of the information I've taken in for the week. I can't create from a space of chaos. And I thought if this guy who is a Fortune 50 CXO is making time to just process and think and create, how am I not finding time for that? And I, I had a similar reaction when I was listening to Michelle Obama's podcast. And she talked about being first lady and being in the White House and still exercising every day. And I thought to myself, I am not busier than Michelle Obama. And if she can find time for healthy movement every day, why am I struggling with that? And you know why? It's because I hadn't decided that was a priority and therefore I hadn't made room for it. She decided that was a priority and it was part of her well-being. And as a result, she made time for it. And I thought if a CXO can have no meeting Friday afternoons and the first lady of the United States can exercise or have healthy movement every day, I'm certain I can figure this out. <laughs> that puts it into perspective when you think about it. <laughs> I'm like, what am I doing that's so important again? I mean, that's what I was thinking both times I heard it. I was like, I'm sorry, what am I doing exactly that I can't get to these things that I really want to do or I think I need to do to be healthy? And I mean, everyone is important and everyone faces challenges and trade-offs with their time now. And, you know, their lives and what they prioritize is, is, no, is no different, no better, no worse, no more important. But what I'm saying is, aren't you that important to yourself? I mean, if you want to be this, CXO of your life or the you know first lady of your life, what would you make room for? Wow, that's a great, great way to do it. Wow. But you're right. If they can do it, I mean, there's 24 hours in the day. We all have 24 hours. We each get seven days a week. Nobody gets more or less than the next person. It's how you utilize it. And again, it starts with defining what does success look like for you? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, and then when you share that definition, I mean, this is the goodness of where the power of community really works with you in a very favorable way. I found that when I'm willing to share my definition of success with someone else, two really great things happen. First, people want to know how they can help people be successful. I mean, there's a natural human reaction that if you said to me, Karen, I really want to be wildly successful with my brave, full podcast and impact women. My natural inclination would be to ask you how I could help you be successful at that goal and to be excited for you. I mean, people want to be part of experiences where you can win and feel great and make progress. So that's one great thing. I mean, you sort of get people then that want to help you and advocate for you and, and great new doors of opportunity open. The second really powerful thing that happens is in sharing your definition of success, you give other people permission to do the same. Mm. And it makes it okay that our definition doesn't have to be the same. Right. I mean, there is room for everyone to rise and there is room for everyone to be successful. And the way I see that and define it for myself doesn't have to be the same definition for you. And that's awesome. Right. Well, so you have written three awesome books. What three books have you read recently that have impacted you? Or do you even have time to read? Is that, is that part of your- Oh, yes, well, I yes, I, I am a big, <laughs> I am, I am a big reader. I, I absolutely love to read. So uh, three books, I like the book Life Scale by Brian Solis. Oh. 
And the reason I like that book is he talks a lot about how digital distraction is the enemy of being able to create and to do deeply focused work. And so I used a technique from his book. He talks about doing these 90 minute distraction free creativity sprints. Really? That's how I was able to write working from home in 30 days. That's how I've been able to do some other creation work is program these 90 minute sprints on my calendar where it's my mobile device is on airplane mode. All of the tabs are closed other than the one I'm working on. I have a beverage and then I'm set. Wow. So that, that has been very powerful. And then you kind of reward yourself at the end of the sprint, right? That might be, you know, you take a rock around the block or, you know, you watch a TED talk or what, whatever that looks like for you, but then you sort of reward yourself at the end for that focus. And it helps to kind of reprogram your brain to be present for these longer attention spans, which is really critical if you're looking in the direction of trying to do something new or to create. The second one is I just read a book about Queen Elizabeth. You love the UK. I do love the UK. And it is a fascinating story of a female leader, right, who comes into her power and into her authority at a very young age, very unexpectedly, and has weathered that with grace and dignity in what you might say has been one of the longest executive tenures in history, <laughs> uh, regardless of whether you want to measure that by, you know, the monarchy or, or companies. That's quite a long reign. Who wrote and the book? Uh, Sally Bendel Smith, or it's Bettel Smith, um, and it's it's fantastic. It has a lovely picture of the queen on the cover. What you really get to experience in the book is her evolving leadership style and her humanity mm-hmm. and balance and trying to find balance. I mean, you know, sense of duty versus you right. know caring for your family and yourself. And so, you know, I think as as women leaders, especially, there's a lot that we can all learn from that. And then the other book is called Essentialism. And the book Essentialism is all about how do you focus on what it is that is essential. And what's so fascinating about his book and about his concept is the irony is that the more successful you become, especially at work, the more that becomes the enemy of you being able to be successful. Because what starts to happen is, you know, you create something and then people are like, well, we want more of that. So now we'll promote you and we'll give you more responsibilities. And all those things really probably take you away from focusing on what is essential to you and at your core. And it's it's a really fascinating study and different approach of thinking about how you show up at work and in life. And it's a different take on this success isn't always more in a very practical sense of, you know, he follows some people through corporate America, okay, uh, tra- transforming how they show up and literally saying, you know, I'm not coming to the team meeting. No, I will not take on the stretch project because it will take me away from literally what will help me be successful and by extension you as well. Wow. Yeah. You're the second person that has recommended that book. It's worth the read. And and it's a short read and I tried to do it sort of read a chapter and then think on it for a little bit. Okay. I mean, because the book is is a shorter book, it's essential. They cut it down to what's essential. And so you could sit down and read it in one sitting and that's great. And right. for some people that might be what you need to do because of your own you know, personal life constraints. What I found was I got more from it by reading a little and starting to think about how would I apply that concept to my own right. life and journey. So what does success look like for you in the next 12, 12 months? Because I know you're busy. Are you writing another book? Well, stay tuned. Perhaps there's an announcement coming soon. We shall see. Okay. And success to me in the next 12 months looks like being of service. Mm. And the, the reason that I share that is people are looking for help and hope that feels like it's in short supply. And that's senior leaders thinking about, you know, how do you help people be safe and well at work, whatever work looks like. That's showing up as, you know, one in four women have exited the workforce and many more are looking for work and they need help and hope to show up confidently and find roles that, that match up with where they are now. And we want them in the workforce. That that also shows up, you know, in terms of being of service, working with lots of uh, university students who are about to graduate and early and career students around the world who are having a very different kind of interview and onboarding experience. 
And so what I am discovering is the books are creating an opportunity for people to find and connect with me. I'm meeting so many people I, I would not have met without the books. And to me, this is an opportunity to be of timely service. You know, this is the first pandemic for all of us in yeah. the workforce, as far as I know, and that means we all have something to contribute. I mean, every voice can play a role in coming up with a new idea or, you know, creating ways for us to all live and work sustainably. And so I think there's a powerful opportunity there just to, to share and scale that and to be of service. And, you know, my highest aspiration is really to be able to offer and to provide some of that help and hope. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. Love it. My pleasure. Love it. It's so great to be here. And, you know, I, I think the beautiful thing, I guess I'll share uh, one other thing I do keep in my line of sight. So it doesn't, it might not look like much. Kind of dilapidated book. It says uh, Daily Reminder, 1945, Edward Hines Lumber Company. Uh, and it's a story about someone else who lived through a major series of setbacks that really? detoured her on her life path. And, and had to find a way forward and, and the future looked uncertain. And so I keep this on my desk. You can even see the, the handwriting in the front. It wow. says another chance is the title of this diary that belonged to my late beloved grandmother. And one of the passages that I love from her diary, now her setback wasn't a pandemic, it was World War II and the future oh. looked really uncertain for her. And I, I love this, this page in the book and I read it over and over. She says, you can always begin again. And that was in 1945. 1945. Yeah. See, everything comes full circle. I mean, regardless, you know, we are not reinventing the world. Um, we just happen to be living in it and experiencing it in a different time frame. You know, same, same effect. Wow. I know your grandmother meant the world to you. So that's awesome. I feel very honored that you shared that. And it just shows you that paper has not gone out of style. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also that we could, that, that grandmother's wisdom is timeless. It matters. Yeah, it matters. It's interesting. I have my grandfather's calendars when he lived on a farm and he would write cold weather or that he was lonely on a day after my grandmother had passed away. So um, it matters, you know, the connection, like you said, it definitely matters. So, yeah. Thank you for joining me today. I don't know about you, but I sure am grateful for the opportunity to listen and learn from such great women. So if you enjoyed yourself as much as I did, please feel free to share Braveful podcast with your friends and colleagues, as well as please subscribe to Braveful on your favorite podcast apps. Have the best day ever. And until next time, be brave